This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to Brown's Film Breakdown. We are in episode 13 now. I want to remind everybody, if we can, to uh, jump into iTunes if you get a minute. Um, give us a review. Give us a uh, five-star rating if you can, if you're enjoying what you hear on Brown's Film Breakdown. Also, if you guys get a chance to listen to uh, Jordan Zerm's new podcast, The Rebuild. So Jordan does a great job. He's going to cover a wide variety of topics on the Browns. He's going to cover, um, you know, the big picture stuff, what's going on with the rebuild, the GM, the offseason, the coaching search, all of those things Jordan's going to do a great job of. He works at 850 ESPN, so he has a pretty good feel for everything going on uh, within that building and within the franchise. So uh, give that a follow and a, and a like and a subscription if you can as well. But let's not waste any more time, guys. Let's jump in and review the Browns' uh, 17-16 win over the, uh, over the Broncos. I meant to do something a little bit earlier this week, but it didn't come to fruition, and that's okay. So uh, we'll just talk about it real quick. I thought, you know, the Browns are going to have to win... They're going to have to win games uh, ugly sometimes, and this was a game that they had to win in ugly fashion. They didn't get the best game from, from Baker Mayfield. It was 18 of 31 for 188 yards, a couple touchdowns, a late second quarter interception that hurt their, you know, hurt their chances a little bit. But um, I think he made three plays. He made three plays, the touchdown ball to Perriman, the ball to Higgins up the left sideline um, there late, or sorry, early in the fourth quarter. And then obviously the play I talked about with you guys uh, throughout the week uh, and wrote on Cleveland.com about this is um, his his two-yard touchdown to Antonio Callaway where he sort of manipulated the defense. And we'll talk about this with our guest a little bit more in depth later, but just a really good play. So although he was off, we're going to get a video posted here, myself and Brendan Leister on uh, Browns Film Breakdown's YouTube channel of sort of why he was off. People ask a lot of those those questions about why he was off, and, and, and sometimes it's it's hard to manipulate uh, the, the exact reason for why he was off. Uh, it just sometimes quarterbacks are off, and it's a really hard game, and you got to make a bunch of throws into really small windows sometimes, and you can miss them, and I thought he missed a few. But for the most part, uh, you know, Mayfield played relatively okay, could have played better, probably not one of his better games, but he made enough plays. That's what That's what matters most. Uh, Nick Chubb ran 20 times for 100 yards. It was nice to see the Browns break off a couple runs. One got called back, uh, but but Nick Chubb did have a uh, did have a long run uh, to to set up the Browns' last possession before being stopped on fourth and one. But nonetheless, at flip field position, allowed the Browns to win. So good to see them reach the triple digit rushing yards number again. Uh, the receiving game was pretty balanced. You had five receivers with 30 yards, and it was led by 37 yards from uh, Jarvis Jarvis Landry. Antonio Callaway had a touchdown and five catches for 35 yards. Thought he made another nice effort in uh, bringing the football in with his hands all game and made a nice catch on the slant route. That was tough. It was good to see. Rashad Perriman, obviously, his 31 yard, his only catch was a 31-yard touchdown. I think they got to start trying to target him as much as they can. I know, I know Mayfield is a spread it around type of guy, but uh, they need to they need to do their best to get the ball into Perriman's hands. 
because he's proving to be a pretty good playmaker. Defensively, it was a night to shine for Jabril Peppers. It was, uh, you know, his, his six uh, six tackles, a couple for loss, had a sack, obviously had a big interception. Going to see uh, an article today I have up on Cleveland.com about his evolution from 2017 to where he is today, and just it's night and day. Obviously, the position change comes into it, but, you know, for, for the most part, it's a different player playing with more confidence, playing faster, all those things you love to see. And Jabril Peppers is proving to be one of the more valuable players on the Browns. Right there with Denzel Ward, right there with Miles Garrett, right there with Baker Mayfield. And it's just great to see the first round pick manifesting in a you know, manifesting itself in a really positive way. So great game from Jabril Peppers. I think everybody if uh, at this point has talked about it at nauseum. Jamie Collins played played a pretty good football game. Um, he he had six tackles, he had a, a sack, and then he also had another tackle for loss. He played really, really well. Um, sometimes Jamie plays well. Sometimes he plays like he's completely disinterested and lost. I'm not sure how you get the most out of Jamie Collins. It's going to be, it's going to be the challenge for this coaching staff to, if they want to keep him here long term, figure out how to get the most out of him. So that'll be interesting. Um, but otherwise, I thought the Browns played played Denver really well. They held him to, uh, they held the Broncos to just a total of 32 rushing yards on. Uh, it looks like 18 attempts, 32 rushing yards, which is really impressive. They only uh, gave up one touchdown, which was the run to Case Keenum. But otherwise, it was a bunch of field goals and bend but don't break. And they did a great job. They made Keenum throw the ball 48 times. It was it was really effective defense. The Browns probably should have put up probably should have put up another touchdown. It shouldn't have been as close as it was. The the turnover by Mayfield before half didn't help anything. But for the most part. You feel really good about this game going into mile high and getting a win, which is rare. You feel really good about uh, the Browns as a team being able to overcome one of Mayfield's worst games as a pro and still get a win. So uh, a lot to feel positive about. There's been a plenty of, of solid recaps written on this game. Uh, again, I'll have something on Peppers today. wrote something earlier this week on Mayfield's ability to audible out of situations and uh, manipulate the defense there to get that two-yard touchdown pass then ended up being the game winner, so all good stuff to see. The OBR, we had some content on baiting uh, Case Keenum into an interception, um, you know, a couple interceptions, I apologize. So that was it was also great to see them sort of manipulate their defense, and they're doing more rotating at the second level, causing some confusion for quarterbacks. So great win is the type of win, um, you know, a franchise needs to be able to find somebody uh, or, some, you know, a team that's trying to figure out how to win being able to win the 17-16 type of game in, in an opponent's raucous environment is good to see. And, and shout out to all the Browns fans who traveled out there. That was, you know, that was really neat to see Jim Donovan's clip calling the last play and high fiving, high fiving fans in the stadium. The Browns are, you know, they're they're one of the biggest fan bases in the world. They're Browns backers that follow me in Ireland and all over the place, and um, it's growing. And as they win more games, it's going to be growing even more rapidly. So that's awesome. So, um, you know, we won't waste any more time. Let's jump to our guest. Going to cover a wide variety of topics for you guys. I hope you enjoy, and we will be right back with our guest. Okay, guys, welcome back. Uh, excited to be joined by Dennis Manoloff. Dennis, as you guys all know, you follow me. You know the sports scene in Cleveland. It's a name that you're all familiar with. He's a sports writer for the Plain Dealer, Cleveland.com. Does his uh, weekly Monday quarterback report. Uh, you know, just just a great guest I thought to have on here to discuss as the end of the season's wrapping up. Really excited to have you on, Dennis. How you doing tonight? I'm doing great, and thanks for having me, Jake. 
Of course, of course. So we're going to dig into a, a myriad of topics. Uh, I think there are some really fun end-of-the-season things going on here that we haven't had in, in quite some time, in my opinion. So um, let's, let's, talk the, let's talk this first. I, I've asked almost all of my guests this question, Dennis. I think it's an important piece of analyzing football is always looking at prospects and how they translate and what you thought versus what, you, what you're getting in Cleveland. Your thoughts on Baker Mayfield heading into the season as a drafted prospect out of Oklahoma and where you stand on him now as a franchise cornerstone uh, 12 starts into his career. Yeah, I'm not going to pull revisionist history, Jake. I'm going to be honest. I, I wasn't necessarily a fan coming out when he was coming out of uh, Oklahoma and, and he was talked about uh, amongst the quarterback crop. I was nervous about some of the high jinks uh, or, you know, histrionics, if you will, the stuff that we saw, the crotch and various things like that. I let that affect me. I, I kind of didn't study his production as much as I should have because I let the other stuff distract me. So I wasn't a huge fan of his uh, coming when he was coming out. And now I'm obviously bullish on him. I mean, how can you not be? I mean, it was a tremendous pick by John Dorsey. He knew what he was doing. I think that there's no question that Mayfield's intellect and his football IQ and his instincts for the game were just as important to John Dorsey as the tangibles, such as the arm, uh, you know, the ability to throw all, make all all the throws. This is clearly a mind and physical situation because uh, you're seeing it play out week after week with Mayfield, how intelligent he is. And that's one of the many things that you've brought out, or brought out in your analysis is just what a thinker this guy is. Uh, and, and that's something that I don't think you can teach. I, I really don't. You would know better because you, you have really a lot of quarterback instincts. But what in my, you know, my time as a quarterback report guy and listening to the analysts talk about it, you either have that feel for the game, you either have that intellect for the game, or you don't. It's almost impossible to coach it, especially at the NFL level. And that's one of the reasons that Mayfield is so valuable. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna wholeheartedly agree on the instincts part of things. I think that, you know, we talk we talk often about a quarterback's cerebral ability to approach a game and his relationship with a coordinator. I think that it's, it's interesting to me with Mayfield is the shift, the paradigm shift between how he was with Todd Haley, which seemed sort of restricted, robotic, confused at times, didn't know where his eyes needed to go, versus where he is with Freddie Kitchens, right? He's a completely different quarterback. There's a bit more of that machoism, bravado that we've wanted to see. So he's doing all of those things. We like, we like what we're seeing there in terms of his ability to grasp what's going on and if I think the big part of it Dennis to me that is striking is Kitchen's ability to trust him not all offensive coordinators who are calling plays those guys are egotistical control freaks they want to control everything it's rare you find that trust between coordinator and quarterback especially at a young age I know I know some people have kind of wanted to pump the brakes on just how important that or I, I shouldn't say important how impressive that play was on the goal line but I think you have to analyze it in a broad sense, instead of looking at it at a macro level. I think people get too pressed on, well, we just did a couple of things. There's so much that goes into those things, the study, all of those elements to be able to know what Denver's going to do. And like you said, 
it's all coming together for him and it's and it's very early so i i'm i i always find it he's ahead of he's let me put it this way he's ahead of where i thought he would be um at this point and i thought i was very, yeah. i was very high on him so it's it's really great to see so i i'll, I'll you won't find me go ahead so I'm sorry. I'm not one of those who said pump the brakes on on that analysis that you did of the the goal line play. It was extraordinary what you what you brought out, and it was extraordinary or extraordinary what Mayfield did. Let me just say this: those Browns fans who have watched this team since Bernie Kosar have seen many quarterbacks who were entirely incapable of doing what Mayfield did at the goal line before that two yard pass. Yeah, I think you're right because, I mean, there are going to be guys, Dennis, as you know, you've studied the game, you know, you've forgot more about football than I know, and it's like there there are – Not true. <laughs> well, I think I think it is. But there are guys who who are, are gifted physically, and it just happens so often in the misevaluation of this stuff. I think that we overkill how important the physical traits are. I think – I still think it's about 70-30 – how smart you are versus how 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 you know how able you are to throw the football at the high spin rate, deliver the ball downfield, those sorts of things. You have to be able to see it. You have to be able to study and not just study, but take what you're studying and transition that study onto the field. And that was a big part of that play for Mayfield. It's like I only went back and saw one time on film, and I'm a loser. I stay up all night and look at this stuff. It's just a weird habit. So I looked at all of Denver's games this year in which a team was inside the five-yard line calling a play from the gun with what we call quads to a side. How many times did the team – I only saw it on film one time. The Chiefs did it, and Denver automatically checked a man-to-man coverage. That means he saw that. He knew it. He knew the hand signal that Denver used, and he knew to adjust his running back, his protection, and the right side wide receiver routes to, to make it all kind of come together. So – you know, man, it's it's impressive. I get it. It's it's one thing you want to see him do more of it, and I think he will do more of it. But you could tell just by his reaction to how excited he was to put in the work, have the work pay off. Really cool to see. But but let's shift. We, we could talk Mayfield all day. Let's shift to guys for you. It's been a really important. It's been an important off season this past off season. It's been a big year turnaround. Six wins now. Hopefully coming on seven this Sunday. Who are your and I'm, I always like looking at this because there's so many. They're actually now this year. There are a lot of names you can pick from. It's a wide pool. Who are your two surprises? So one offensive surprise player that has been sort of an unsung hero, and then uh, defensively another guy you think has been on that side of the ball. Yeah, offensively, I mean, I don't want to say – I want to say this guy, even though the production is not huge, and that is Prashad Perriman, because I got the impression that Perriman – basically done, all right, when the Browns picked him up uh, off the scrap heap. And what I've seen in little, again, bits and pieces, it's not like he's had some enormous game, you know, nine catch for 100 yards or anything like that. But he's flashed the kind of potential that had him being discussed coming out of college. So I like what I'm seeing from Perriman, and he, he would rate as a surprise if for no other reason than he was a, a, a mid-season pickup and he had been discarded. Um, because, you know, you could say, well, Chubb's production is, is a surprise. Yeah, but he was drafted high and he was drafted by this team and you didn't, you know, pick him up off the, the, the heap. So Perriman uh, checks those surprise boxes on the offensive side. And defensively, for me, it's Peppers. Because 
I saw the struggle last year and I wondered how much of an impact he was going to have uh, in the Greg Williams uh, defense. And, you know, we, he infamously was playing, you know, in the end zone uh, from the 50 yard line, <laughs> you know, the, the famous deep drops that he had. Yeah. But you're now you're starting to see, and admittedly we're coming off a game in which he made uh, two enormously impactful plays, the pick in the end zone and then the, the sack to uh, seal it. But you're seeing more impactful plays from Peppers, which is what you thought you were going to get maybe right out of the gate. It's just taken him a little while, and now he's moving closer to the line of scrimmage, and you're seeing what had people talking about Jabril Peppers coming out of Michigan. Yeah, two great, two great picks. I mean, I think that it's, it's it, just to follow up on Perriman first, he came in at such a vital time. I remember I had the first time I had been able to gain or sorry gain uh, press box credentials, which was really neat for me as a first timer in this stuff. And they had just signed him, and he wasn't active. And I was looking at the Browns wide receiver group, and Todd Haley was still there. They're running all these. They're they're infamously running eleven personnel all the time. They're always having three wide receivers on the field, and they're playing Rod Streeter. And I'm like, and they're playing Damian Ratley. And, and Ratley's a six round pick. He's a young guy, but. Like, how is this going to work the rest of the year? How are they going to make this function? Because this is terrible. And like you said, Dennis, I, I didn't expect anything out of Rashad Perriman. They brought him in and they gave him number 19, which to me was like a laughable Corey Coleman <laughs> sort of moment. It was just kind of funny. And uh, no, man, he's been great. He's had yeah. 17 targets. He's got a, a, all 11 balls, according to Pro Football Focus, all 11 throws that he has been deemed catchable, he's caught. And he made a. Uh, I, I try to highlight as many of his plays as I can. He's he's made one slant catch. I think the slant catch was against Atlanta, where it was no, it was against Houston. The ball was all the way behind him. He went back and caught it. He made a one-handed catch on a long drag across the middle. And then obviously, like you said, Sunday or Saturday night, that catch was as as big time a catch as we've seen. If the Browns can make Rashad Perriman a productive lift the roof off of a defense, but also sort of play that intermediate game and and can be affordable where a quarterback like Mayfield who makes most of his receivers a little bit better by sort of spreading the wealth and keeping defenses balanced in their approach and playing them, that's big. It could be really big. So it, he's he's going to be fun to pay attention to the last two weeks. And then Peppers, you, you, you nailed it, the, the how far they played him off the ball last year, how, how out of position he was. I actually just – I'm going to have one out on Cleveland.com tomorrow on him and his impact between 17 and 18. And uh, John Costco, a pro football focus analyst, spit out a lot of really good data to me that I tried to share in there. But you're right, man. Just an impact player this year when they needed him to be an impact player because they needed to fit him somewhere productive because Demarius Randall's a game changer at free safety. He's doing all those things. Those two plays Sunday were big time. Those are great answers, Dennis. Shifting one more time shift, and then I have a really fun question for you at the end. Your ideal head coach, Just, just I know we only know so much on the outside looking in. We don't know their personality. We don't know when a coach lays out his grand plan, what it looks like. If you just had to pick who you think, from your perspective, would be the right coach for these guys going forward, who would that name be? Wow. Um, There's no wrong answer. You know, yeah, I mean, as far, let me speak in general terms first. I'd like a head coach who doesn't have a ginormous ego, although has an ego. Just not a Hugh Jackson ego, okay? Mm-hmm. I, I can't, I can't stomach another one of those. Uh, you have the ability to subjugate your ego and not act like you're the man. Uh, 
I, I want a, a coach who absolutely has a rapport with Baker Mayfield. And this is where we get into the whole LeBron thing because, you know, people had come to me. I, I was a LeBron supporter. They say, well, I don't, I don't want LeBron being the coach and the GM. Well, okay, but I also want LeBron to be involved in a lot of the decisions, and yeah. I want him to be able to get along with the, the, the you know, the, the bosses, if you will, because he's the franchise guy. And, and so that's how I want it with a, whoever's coaching Baker Mayfield. I want to rapport with them. And, you know, that's why I've said at the end of the season, we don't know how the last two games are going to play out, but even if they, let's say, go one and one and they're competitive in the loss to, to Baltimore, Greg Williams is five and three. Okay, that's a really nice record. That's what he can show John Dorsey. But to me, another piece of the puzzle is, does Baker Mayfield sign off on Greg Williams mm-hmm. as an example? And I'm just, you know, that's just the guy that's in front of him right now. But I want to know if I'm John Dorsey, I want to know, Hey, as part of my intelligence gathering, Hey Baker, what did you think about, you know, the second half of the year? What did you think about Williams? What did you think about Kitchens? That's perfectly okay to do. You know, some people are like, Oh, you can't do that. You can't have Baker Mayfield. In. Why not? <laughs> He's the franchise guy. You go as far as he goes. All right. So if Baker Mayfield says, you know what? This is my two cents or my five cents, Mr. Dorsey. I love playing for Greg Williams. And I love having Freddie Kitchens call a place. Okay. We'll take it under advisement, you know, but I want to hear from what Baker says. So those are the general characteristics of the head coach. As far as who that would be, I guess Lincoln Riley has to be considered uh, if he wants it. If he wants to come in for an interview, you would think that would be a good fit, especially with Mayfield. Um, I, I've heard McCarthy mentioned. I don't know because we, we don't know what kind of relationship McCarthy has with Dorsey. Um, and then, you know, and I'm just thinking off the top of my head, Greg Williams, too. He, he has earned the right to at least have, you know, this is his job interview, if you will, this half season, but he's at least earned the right to be, I don't know, the clubhouse leader if he goes five and three, uh, you know, and, and we'll see how that goes. But I think Greg Williams has acquitted himself nicely. The question is, will Dorsey and his crew be able to sit down and project the Browns three to five years from now with Greg Williams running the show? And, you know, that's what they're going to have to answer. But Greg Williams, to me, has done nothing to, uh, you know, take himself out of the running, that's for sure. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. The, his his resume, when he puts it out in front of Dorsey and the and company and, and and says, this is this is what I've done, this is it's impressive. I mean, I, I tweeted it out a week ago. I don't know. I mean, other than maybe Bruce Arians' run, I'm sure there were some other really good answers in that that thread, but there, he, he's putting together one of the well, most impressive runs for an interim head coach in NFL history, right? And Jake, Jake, thanks for mentioning Chris Arians. That was the name that was slipping my mind. I think Arians is a guy who would love to come here, and my sense is Arians wouldn't mind his D coordinator being Greg Williams and his O coordinator being Freddie Kitchens. Um, so that would kind of be good for the continuity part of it. Uh, but I, I just don't know, you know, where Dorsey stands with Arians. And I also wonder, is Greg Williams in that scenario, is he going to want to 
slide back to D.C. when he felt good in the coach's chair. And, he, you know, he's kind of re, revitalized and he's got the juices flowing again as a head coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could think of a couple teams that might be taking note of this, you know. Uh, so maybe Greg Williams doesn't want to just go back to being a D.C. and have Arians or somebody come in. But that would be a case, I think, if you brought Arians in. It wouldn't surprise me at all if he went with Williams as his D.C. and and Kitchens as his O.C. Because here's the thing about Freddie Kitchens. Who's to say he's not the next uh, uh, mind in the NFL? You know, I mean, this is his first chance to call plays. And it looks to me, and you're, again, wiser than I am when it comes to this, but it looks to me like he's doing a pretty darn good job. Who's to say he's not the guy that – that we've been, you know, looking for. Maybe maybe he's right under your nose and you just haven't acknowledged it yet. Yeah, no, I think I think that's spot on because what's peculiar about that is is when they brought when they brought Greg in because I don't think many of us knew what direction they were going to go when the surprise news came out not only about Hugh Jackson but Todd Haley as well. The move to 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 peg Greg Williams as the interim coach because I think it was Al Saunders' name that came out first sort of leaked out I think falsely that he was going to get it and then yeah, then Greg gets it, and then it's like you, you bring in Freddie Kitchens, you allow him to call plays, and I've kind of hinted at this in a couple different locations, that he has this sort of, when you talk to Freddie, he just sort of sounds like a good old boy. He sounds like that, you know, the sub, the Alabama draw, the slow sort of talk when he when he starts talking. So you don't you don't get the same sort of like Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, quick approach to talking that, you know, you know what I'm getting at, the sort of stereotypes that, you know, this guy's a really sharp mind. Like, I think that that has what is has been what has really surprised me is what he sort of sounds like when he goes through his his press conferences to the creativity that he shows as an offensive coordinator and the quickness in terms of being able to like the snap of your fingers figure out what they're doing how they're going to use schemes to build off other schemes like that stuff has been super impressive and you're right I think that people tend to forget when the hiring of Sean McVay happened he was sort of just a a ho hum coordinator for the Redskins he wasn't really well known outside of NFL circles is this really sharp mind. And maybe the Browns are turning over the same sort of rock with kitchens. I would have to think this is total conjecture on my part, but I don't know if the Browns ever had plans of keeping either of these guys when they gave them their roles, but it's been sort of like an epiphany has happened with the whole franchise through these guys. So that, like you said, Dennis, those are, those are the guys that they might have to consider keeping. And that's a good thing. And really where I see it, where I sit with it is, this is the first time this has been a really admirable job, and this is going to piggyback into what we talked about last, but when's the last time you could you could look at the Browns when a head coaching job for them has been open and, and picture the rest of the league being like, man, that's the place to go. You're going to win some games. That, that hasn't happened in a while. So it's, it's a very interesting job. The Browns have the opportunity to sit back, bring, who in, bring in whoever they want, and, and unless they're blown away by somebody, they still have the status quo. They're willing to take the job after the interview process if you offer it to them, and they've proven that they can win games. So they're in a really good position overall. They could bring in somebody, like you said, like Arians. But the thing that is also interesting on top of it, and I'm rambling a little bit, I apologize, but there is no slam dunk hire this year. I think last year Matt Nagy was a name that was going to get buzzed no matter what. Frank Wright coming off the Super Bowl uh, is going to get buzzed no matter what. There's really not those types of guys this year, um, you know, even even Matt Patricia, because it's like you have Josh McDaniels who has all these caveats about who he is and what he did to the Colts last year in his first Broncos tenure. 
Then you have Lincoln Riley, which you made a great point of, is is he willing to even listen to NFL offers? You have um, Mike McCarthy. Is Mike McCarthy willing to reinvent himself the same way Andy Reid did when he left Philadelphia? We don't know. There really isn't a slam dunk hire this year, so the Browns are in a really precocious situation with all this. It's fascinating to me where it'll go. Uh, I think he did a great job of nailing who that type of guy is in terms of ego and keeping the ego in check, but also being the leader that this team's going to need with the type of quarterback they have. And, and, and hell yeah, they need to get Baker's opinion. I don't think you rely on him to make the choice, but he's got to be, he's in the exit interview. He needs to have an answer. Like, who do you want? Who are you? Who, you know, these are the names we're looking at. Who catches your eye sort of thing. So I think you're spot on about that. But last question, you're a busy guy. I got to let you go. Fun one for me. I'm a Columbus guy. Right, So I've been around Central Ohio my whole life. I made the allegiance to Cleveland when I was very young. It has seemed to me in the last 10 years now that an entire generation of Browns fans have been skipped. And it seems I see more and more Bengals and more and more Steelers stuff in Columbus than I used to see growing up when I was in high school and whatnot. This year, this, this, the Browns have had excitement. Right, They had 99, which I think was obviously pretty exciting, getting the team back. Uh, 2007 into 2008, the year after the 10 and 6 year, and then you know 2014 into 2015. I think everybody kind of knew 2014 was a bit of a fluke, but there was excitement. There was palpable excitement there, in my opinion. Where does this current situation for the Browns, having seen those things through your own eyes, which is, is super important to me being in the city, is this excitement with where the franchise is new in terms of the level of excitement, or is it where does it compare to those other years I've listed? This is at the top since 99 because of Mayfield. And and that's how important one player, specifically in professional football, the quarterback, is. Uh, Mayfield and the excitement generated by him makes this, to me, the most exciting time uh, where the Browns are concerned since 99 because, again, Mayfield is, is, is so impressed. And then you see other parts around you see victories. Uh, I use as my litmus test about what you were speaking to, which is the generation or the 10 years worth of people, you know, abdicating and going to Steelers. I mean, I use my daughter's class and my daughter's, uh, you know, athletic events as a litmus test because she's a sixth grader. And over the past few years, I've seen, you know, <laughs> too many Steelers uniforms for my liking, uh, <laughs> but you know, we're worn by young kids and I told my daughter I'll never let you wear uh, black and gold Um, but a lot of her friends not a lot but enough of her friends do and not enough Browns gear well in the past couple of months you're seeing more and more number six jerseys for the Browns and you know so it's encouraging to see the youngsters and even my daughter's talking about Baker Mayfield where she wasn't talking much at all about the Cleveland Browns before. It's not that she had gone to the Steelers side, the dark side, but she was not talking Browns. Now she's talking Browns because of Baker Mayfield. That's how, uh, you know, much of a galvanizing figure he is. And it's not, you know, it's not smoke and mirrors. I mean, you can see there's legitimate talent there. So it's not like you're saying, oh, you know, he's a nice looking guy or he's a funny guy or he's a slick talker or he's, confident but he's doing it with you know a noodle arm no this guy's got everything you need and so that allows fans to really get excited about this team 
And then, of course, again, you see the guys like Miles Garrett doing what they do and Denzel Ward and Ogan Joby and on down the line, Peppers and those guys. So it's a fun team to rally around. But I clear, I, I believe this is the most optimistic. Let's say going into this offseason, this will be the most optimism about the Browns. Well, I mean, obviously there was the 2007 year, the banner year, but I, I don't. I want to feel like there wasn't a tremendous amount of optimism going into 08 because there was sort of a flukish element to that 07 team. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to say this is clearly the most optimistic that the fans are going to be about this franchise, certainly since 99. And then obviously you take it back uh, pre three year hiatus since Bernie Kosar. Really? I mean, this is since the Bernie Kosar years, uh, this is as, as good as it gets. Yeah, I think you're right because even like the 03 year after the uh I think it was 03 after the playoff run they, they you just sort of felt that there were there were there were pieces that were contributing that weren't young cornerstone pieces and then there was the Kelly Holcomb is he better than Tim Couch or who are we going to start at quarterback and and you're right the Derek Anderson was was that real is this guy a, is he a sustainable force I mean it would just kind of chuck it deep and see what happens yeah this is this is a franchise quarterback that they actually invested in at number 1 and it is it is hopefully going to save a generation of fans here. It would be really cool if my first, you know, my son's ten months now. If his first football memories are watching, you know, number six running around First Energy Stadium. That's what that's what that's what's cool. That's that's the the sort of tangible feeling that we want as Browns fans. I'm very very interested to see if they fill the state. Sounds like they're going to fill the stadium up on Sunday to send them out for the year. Hopefully they can sweep Cincinnati and, uh, you know. Yeah, Jake, and, Jake, Jake, let me jump in with one more thing. I, I, don't, I don't want to not mention John Dorsey, too. Not only is Mayfield a, guy, a galvanizing figure, but when, when the Browns fans see the confidence that's coming from the general manager's office mm -hmm. and they see how good John Dorsey is at his job, that is every bit as important. And obviously Dorsey picked the quarterback. But Dorsey doing what he's doing and instilled so much confidence in the fan base. I didn't mean to neglect his name when I'm talking about reasons for optimism. Yeah, spot on. I think the second he arrived, the deals he made, uh, it was, yeah, you could, you could feel the shift in uh, the entire feel of the franchise. And that's, that's equally as important because John Dorsey has a sustainable product. He's got tons of money to work with this offseason. He's got a good number of draft, not quite the number last year, but another healthy draft of, of picks. And you're right, this offseason with expectations, it'll be very fun to see how they deal with expectations going into next year because they're going to be there. They're going to be real. It's going to be a lit, you know, a really exciting training camp and, and all the above. People are kind of, they're nervous, but I feel like they're getting hooked again. So it's going to be fun times, Dennis, man. I, I really, really appreciate you taking some time for me, guys. You can find Dennis at, at DmansWorld474 on Twitter. I'm sure you're following him. If you're not, you need to rectify it. It's a great follow one of the best writers up in Cleveland. Okay, find his work, Cleveland, or at the uh, at the Plain Dealer. Um, and, and yeah, Dennis, thanks, man. I really appreciate you coming on. My pleasure, and I'll continue to read your breakdowns of Mayfield because they're fascinating. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate that. We'll be uh, we'll be right back, guys. Okay, guys, that's a wrap for episode thirteen. Here, I want to thank once again uh, Dennis Maniloff for coming on and you know providing his insights and coverage of the Browns since nineteen ninety. He's one of the best in Cleveland. If you, if you don't know his name from work at the Plain Dealer, I encourage you to look up his stuff. It's, it's uh, some of the best you can find uh, covering not just the Browns, but uh, you know uh, most of your Cleveland teams and 
really nice of him to come on. So thanks again to uh, to Dennis. Uh, lastly, here guys, if you if you're trying to decide to go to the game, I would I would suggest you go to the game. I hope the I hope the stadium is full. I'm going to be up there myself this weekend. Should be a pretty raucous environment as the Browns welcome back um, everyone they loved, right? And and, and the, their main man and Hugh Jackson and. It'll it'll be it'll be really important for the Browns to send off this young team feeling positive about their home stadium. The Browns have a winning record there, um, a chance to go I think five and two on the year. Could be more than that. I'm not entirely sure, but they they have a chance to put together a really impressive home resume, you know. And then for a fan base that hasn't seen a ton of wins at First Energy Stadium, you know, it would obviously mean a lot for them to get it done. Um, get it done for the fan base and for the fan base to show up and support them would be awesome too. So I really encourage you. If you're wavering in any way to to get up there so the hope would be the Browns can finish off the Bengals um, and then go you know upset the Ravens in Baltimore next week and uh, you know at that point hope for the best for their slim playoff chances and the tie from the from the Colts and Titans in week 17 um, to, to, to make the miracle happen but until then um, I appreciate you guys jumping on with this reminder to go to iTunes and subscribe if you're not already if this is your first time listening Give us a rating if you can. Uh, we will be back. Uh, I'll have something up for you guys tomorrow on Friday for uh, previewing uh, the Bengals with John Stephenson over there of the OBR. He does a great job. He's one of the best. So I'm going to bring him back on and continue to do that as often as we can so that we can understand what the opponent's going to do and what the Browns have to do to, uh, to win. So, again, guys, thanks for listening. And per the usual, go Browns. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.